This episode is brought to you by Levitt Pavilion. This summer, check out one of my favorite outdoor concert venues in Denver, Levitt Pavilion. May through October, Levitt is offering ticketed and totally free all-ages concerts. I feel like we just go to anything that's free because it's like the kids can be at the show and it's people aren't weird about it and you can like bring a picnic. It's awesome. Some of the free shows this season include Iskali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Chali Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Today on CityCast Denver. I'm recording this on Thursday afternoon, and the Lauren Boebert-Adam Frisch race for Congress is still shockingly too close to call. Me and the rest of the Denver media thought Boebert would win in a walk, so how the heck did we miss this one? We're digging into the state of that race, plus we've got some hot takes on the election from a few good friends of the show, and we're peeking over the edge of what could be a slippery slope. Coloradans voted to decriminalize psychedelics on Tuesday. What's that going to look like? And as usual, we're talking politics, and this one gets a little bit explicit. Today is Friday, November 11th, 2022. I'm Paul Caroli, and this is CityCast Denver. It won't be something we'll want to write about as much. Yeah. So this is... Voters are smarter than sometimes we give them credit for. That's and political I... pundits and pollsters are more stupid. <laughs> Welcome back to CityCast Denver, the show about the city that will literally pay you to paint over your problems. <laughs> <laughs> Explain, Paul. Patty, did you hear about this? The uh, the new business facade improvement program from the city? Well, I've heard about the program, but obviously I haven't heard enough. <laughs> They're going to give you up to $75,000 to uh, spruce up your storefront. My argument for that is, okay, can we just have a better sidewalk in front of that store then for $75,000? <laughs> Get, well, that's the, a good get point. the process started. Although I will give you a good argument for some of those things if they're grants yeah. that have to really be vetted. Mm -hmm. So VFW post number one, the very first Veterans of Foreign War post in the country mm -hmm. is on Santa Fe. That's where they are currently located. Oh. But it started in Denver. They lost their first building. They lost their second. And they need a lot of work. So if the city wanted to give them $75,000 to fix up that storefront, I'd be I'd be behind it. Yeah, I guess I can see that. I guess I can see that. I mean, I would like to cases. see something like that get the funding to stay on Santa Fe and exactly and actually allow people to come in rather than be some what is that I always get in trouble saying on here some huge monolithic high rise. <laughs> you um, make the density people very mad, Patty. And, and <laughs> on I love Santa that Fe, too. I don't care. It's so bad there now. <laughs> There's right, so much right, density. Right, We're right. good there. All We're right. good. It's let's, going good. Let's get to the good stuff here because it is Friday. We're talking about the news of the week. The news of the week was the huge midterm election. We are still sort of processing. Votes are still being counted. Oh, we are literally still processing it. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, we're in the Lindy Zimmer studio at Westward. Um, Bree is here. Of course, you've already heard her voice. Hi. And Westward's editor-in-chief, Patty Calhoun, is here. Welcome back, Patty. Thanks. Okay, so let's get to our top story. There's something frishy happening <laughs> on the Western Slope. 
You've been dying to use that, huh, Paul? Of course I have. I love that. <laughs> um, on Tuesday, voters in Colorado's Congressional District 3 shocked the Denver media with a result that is still too close to call. Uh, it's the race between Democrat Adam Frisch and MAGA celebrity Lauren Boebert. It's been within 100 votes for almost a full day now. They keep updating it, but it's still really, really close. They're still counting it. Looks like it's going to be a recount. Bree, what happened? I think you said it correctly. It shocked the media hmm. and maybe shocked us city slickers. But I don't know if it shocked the Western Slope and Southern Colorado. I think that we drastically underestimated voters there as the media. Speaking us as the media, I think we did them a great disservice. Um, I was looking back like, what was the coverage like for this race just across the board? Uh, and there was plenty of who is Adam Frisch, right? Actually, there was a lot of those stories the day after the election, which I thought was funny. But I did do a little digging and the Denver Post had done a profile and CPR had done a profile. So he wasn't like unknown totally. But where we did miss it was I didn't hear anyone talking about this race being remotely as close as we're looking at down to maybe 50 votes at this point. No one was talking about this. I think we supremely screwed this up. I couldn't agree more. I mean, we said it on this show. The three of us were here. We talked about a poll. There was it was it showed a two point difference. I brought one this poll. up. Patty, you said that's an internal Frisch poll, and, and then it I was, was like, and, and it, we and all it went was. okay. Yeah, okay, forget it. Bobert's going to cruise here as, and then the not opposite. the case. Patty, what do you think? Well, we don't have to beat up just the Denver media. This was a national fair fa mm -hmm. failure. You look at um, Nate Silver's site where he is like the preeminent pollster in the country. He's not here in Colorado. And they looked at this race and they did a scenario where three out of a hundred was the chance they gave Frisch of winning. So that's a national thing. And you saw it got a lot of national attention too. Of course, we're in Denver and this isn't our district. So we're also not talking in the supermarket lines with people who would be voting. Yeah. So we didn't have the boots on the ground the same way. But it shows that the pundits are really wrong and the pollsters are really wrong. So I like that. I like it that voters can't be predicted. And I like it especially when they go the right way, when they're when they realized this woman is an embarrassment. She should not be in elected office. And they at least half of them, it looks like at the moment, are trying to get rid of her. I mean, I think the story should have been uh, talking to some of those voters. I would have loved to hear more from folks who said, I just had not heard that. I had not heard that side of the voter story as much as I think it clearly existed if we're this close between Frisch and Boebert. I, I you mean, know, we talked to Frisch and I read some of those. We didn't do a lot of coverage of this just because it's not our district, but I read a bunch of those stories where people talked. The problem is sometimes people aren't completely forthcoming with the media, too. And I understand why they're not. And I kind of I kind of thought that on election night was there was the the vocal minority or at least the the people that are supporting Bobert are taking up all the airspace and the folks that aren't saying anything are just voting how they wanted to and we didn't anticipate that well i checked in with a voter on the western slope my old boss kat jaffe um she uh grew up she's got deep ties in aspen where adam frisch is from she uh lives in durango now um and so i thought, hey, you know, what's up? What did you hear? Turns out she's been interviewing politicians all summer on the Western Slope for this water podcast she's working on. And she says her explanation was it, it's not conspiracy theory conservative on the Western Slope. These are different demographics. D3 is conservative, but it's farmers conservative. They're, they don't like her antics. They just want a Republican. Mm. 
that's or someone that's doing something. I think Don Corum pointed that out in his um, his editorial for the Montrose paper. Well, and Megan Schrader, who is from the Western Slope in the Denver Post, said pretty much the same thing, that they didn't like her, but anger extremism or anger tenor yeah. entertainment. Uh, but, and I... If she loses, it is all because people are voting against her, not for Frisch, really. Do you I mean, think Frisch so? Is a new- Frisch? Well, who, he, well who he's Frisch? a newcomer. Uh, he, yes, he's Frisch. But still, he's an Aspen guy, which is not what most of the Western Slope is. That's a very small. Pitkin County has a very small percentage of the votes. He looks interesting. He looks sincere. But plenty of people who are interesting and sincere are not being elected. Mm-hmm. You, they're not running to vote for those people. But in this case, I think people did who voted for him, it's a clear repudiation of Boebert. Hmm. And that was intentional. Hmm. Yeah, so I was mentioning a Republican representative, Don Corum, wrote a piece for the Montrose Press in support of Adam Frisch, even though he says outright, we don't agree on a lot of issues, but I think that he's a better candidate. And he also says, despite her baseless claims, otherwise Lauren Boebert is 39 to 0 in passing legislation. So she's not doing the work. Maybe she's just that's, making a show and they're yeah, sick of it. And that's what and I understand why Change would voters mm-hmm. why would voters want to tolerate that if she's not actually getting work done? Yeah. Okay. So here there's this other aspect of this that's kind of lingering in the shadows. And Patty, you were actually discussing this last time you were on, the whole election security, the whole contested election situation. And what worse race in this state to be close for a, a, a an election that is likely to be contested, to be recounted, to be t- the subject of lawsuits. So um, I, I just have a clip here from uh, Joe Oltman, who you discussed last time, the conservative, <laughs> Bree, you might call him a ding dong. Here was his he's response to the his, election. He's more evil than ding dong. <laughs> Fair. I'm still beside myself as I'm sitting here looking at all the things that we're dealing with. And I'm, I'm saying to myself, how? I'm, I'm, I, have to, I have to look at this and go, Carrie Lake is down by 13%. With 70% of Maricopa record, reporting. Told you, they can't let her be governor. I mean, She'll investigate. They l- can't let listen, her have it. Listen, we, we can see the fraud. We can see the fraud in the machines, Draza. We can see it. We can see it. They believe their own baloney. And it's real disbelief. It, yes. It's horrifying. And Heidi Ganahl was on his show the week before the election, which, you know, she had said, you know, she was not an election denier, but... You don't go on Joe Altman's show, his if podcast, the week of the election, if you are trying to look like a serious gubernatorial candidate who doesn't believe in election deniers. Well, Patty, I want to hear your prediction here, because I think you've studied this election denying situation as much as anyone here in Colorado. And it sounds to me like Altman doesn't believe that this election went right in some way. The Boba race is so close. What do you think is going to happen? We will certainly hear some challenges, whether, you know, Heidi on election day wanted things to be counted differently in a way that actually is counter to the law. So that didn't happen. But I think we will probably have a challenge if Boebert loses. Mm -hmm. uh, We will have a challenge on her behalf. We'll have a couple other challenges around the state. But what was gratifying is to see on election day, the clerk said in general, they were okay. Things were safe. Things uh, They had a huge number of ballots on the last day, but they did not get attacked the way they thought they would, emotionally or physically, even though there were a lot of poll watchers out there. So it went smoothly, and that is something Colorado can be really glad about. But, of course, we're going to still have the hiccups mm-hmm. of some recounts. 
we had it after the primary. Yeah. Well, we'll hope it continues to go smoothly. Yeah. Um, Bree, you you pointed out earlier, this is not the only polling miss of the election here in Colorado. There was another notable miss that um, you want you brought up around Michael Bennett. You want to talk about that? Oh, it was the New York Times headline that was so funny that everybody was batting around on Twitter. Bennett wins third Senate term in Colorado in tougher than expected fight. Do we have the numbers on how he pummeled Joe O'Day? I mean, it was not even close. And this was the day of like, this is after returns come out. This is the headline. The New York Times has no clue what's going on here. Mm -hmm. But I also wonder how this narrative was shaping what we thought because, I mean, as the media here, because I was like, I was not making any bets on anything. I had no idea. And our Dems did amazing. It was no, I mean, they called Polis within 23 minutes of the polls closing. Mm -hmm. So- I, I don't know. Although the polls were definitely right on Polis, but it was interesting because the national media seemed to really want to bend over backwards to give some Republican candidates some credit. like, of, And they were yep. doing it with people who presented themselves as reasonable candidates, not election deniers, not completely anti-choice. And so suddenly O'Day at the last second had really become a media darling. I don't know how that really affected the polls, but if you turned on CNN... Fox News, that's no surprise. But you meet the press, you saw O'Day all over, and you're kind of, and you had to wonder why does this guy suddenly have so much credibility? He's a businessman too. He might have started out very differently than Bennett did, but he didn't have any experience in public office. I have a theory about this one. Okay. Can I, I would love to hear your thoughts Lay on this. Lay it out, Paul. I think the Bennett Ode. Now, of course, this is my bias. You know, we we were pretty critical about Michael Bennett um, on this show when we had Phil Goodstein on. So this is my bias. But my theory is that the Bennett O'Day race was tightening because of the way that the polls were conducted. I think you called a person and you ask, "What do you like? Who do you, who do you like, Bennett or O'Day?" People are like, "Eh, you know, I don't know. You know, O'Day seems reasonable." I think that's what Coloradans' response typically is going to be. Like he couldn't even answer any questions. Well, I don't know. but He had good then, commercials. I'll okay. say that. He, with his All wife, right. he had good commercials. The polis effect, though. On the ballot, people are going to vote blue all the way down. Once once people are there and they're voting polis, they're voting Democrats. So the race is going to get stretched out to the same margin that polis won by. But people are, were more initially um, interested in O'Day. I'll disagree with that because I have always thought Colorado is a state that likes some vote splitting. So if you're going to vote for the governor, hmm. normally it's not necessarily going to be the senator. But if the governor's a lock and he's going to be a Democrat, maybe secretary of state will be a, Dem a Republican. You're mm -hmm. not going to necessarily go through the whole thing. So I don't think I think Bennett won it on his own as people began to look more into O'Day. And I think that's what we're seeing with the initiatives, too. And in Denver and across Colorado, voters actually are smarter than they get credit for. I mean, they look through Agreed. the liquor bills, mm -hmm. for example. Yeah, that and didn't they, go straight down 124, the line one which looked all warm and fuzzy owing to the incredible amount of money that Total Wines millions. put in. Tens of millions. And voters said, no, this is not a mom and pop savior campaign. 
And they figured it out. So we have to give voters, I think, in this race, a lot of credit. Mm -hmm. And that was the measure that would have um, expanded the amount of franchise locations that an individual like chain of liquor stores could operate. And it was, I mean, it was laughable the way they were presenting it as like, well, now mom and pops can have their own chance at franchising and like talk to the average liquor store owner. They're not looking to, I mean, it's just, it was so counter to what you hear from independent shop owners. And we heard that. I mean, you. I, I pointed this out on the show, but if you just wander around Denver, you see how liquor stores felt about that. They were not on board. It was total wine. It was total bullshit. I'm sorry. It was, but <laughs> it was total the bad. voters figured that out, which yeah. you like, even if they didn't mm-hmm. go into the local liquor store and hear whatever. It was total was BS. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we um, we solicited some of our uh, our favorite past guests for takes on the election. I thought it might be interesting. I play a couple. Maybe we could talk about talk about the takes from our friends. Okay. Uh, all right. So this first one is from Ian Silveri. He is a political insider, Democrat, and he's going to Washington because his wife, Brittany Pedersen, won uh, Congressional District 7 over the Republican Eric Odland earlier this week. Here's what Ian says. Hey, this is Ian Slaveri, the new first gentleman of Colorado's 7th Congressional District in Denver. We live out here in Lakewood. My wife, Brittany Pedersen, got elected in the blue wave of 2022, which I actually predicted a little bit. Um, kind of amazing to see. Uh right-wingers through the kitchen sink of lies at Democrats all over the state, and it didn't work at all. Um, as of this recording, Adam Frisch is still beating Lauren Boebert in the 3rd District. Yadira Caraveo is slightly ahead of Barbara Kirkmeyer in the 8th District, and Brittany Peterson won the 7th District with 17% of the vote, um, or excuse me, a 17% margin. Democrats look like they may have up to 46 seats in the House of Representatives on the state level and up to 21 seats in the state Senate. So congratulations, Colorado. You're a blue state. Mm. I mean, he was right about the blue wave. And I think that was not the narrative that we were hearing, especially in the national media, about what was going to happen. Yeah. Um, we should we should note that the Caraveo-Kirkmeyer race has been called for Caraveo. I just want to say that race is kind of like the race you wish we get to see more often, which is like two candidates talking about their values. And then when one of them wins, congratulates the other one. And we move on and we get to see that person legislate. I'll say I was surprised that Kirkmeyer did concede because they're at as of Thursday, I think there were under a thousand votes. So someone must have added it up. No, and she no flinging accusations, no, no demand for a recount. So uh, the best thing she did in this campaign was how she admitted she lost. Yeah. Hmm. Um, all right. Next up, we've got uh, our friend Justine Sandoval, our Green Chili and State Politics contributor. You heard her on the show last Friday. Here's her take on the election. Hey, CityCast Denver, it's Justine Sandoval here with my two cents about the election results. I'm not surprised that all Democrats have such a sweeping victory in the state. Despite what national pundits were saying, those of us on the ground knew exactly what was coming. Colorado voters decided they trust Democrats as a team, and that is exactly what was reflected in the results as people elected Dems up and down the ballot. Abortion rights, as predicted, played a large role in voter turnout, especially in Colorado. Colorado Republicans seem to be surprised that their messaging of crime and inflation didn't land as they thought with Colorado voters. And the reason isn't that voters aren't worried about those things. It's the fact that the Colorado GOP underestimated voters' intelligence when it comes to tackling those issues. 
They thought they could use fear to motivate people. But at the end of the day, Colorado voters sided with the party that they feel would better address these issues. Also, I think voters know that there's so much more at stake for humanity right now than just the economy. Democracy is on the line. Thanks. She was with you on the up and down the ticket Dems mm-hmm. theory. Mm-hmm. Patty, what'd you Hell think? Oh yeah, Justine. <laughs> well, I, I'll go back to, um, I think people liked the Dems more, but, and they also, it's a votes against, as we're seeing in some cases, where Republicans who were good candidates, and I'll use Pam Anderson as this example, mm-hmm. it was really hard for a good Republican to wash off the stench of the bad ones yeah. because Pam Anderson would have been a good Secretary of State. And I talked to plenty of in- otherwise intelligent people, and they're like, oh, she's an election denier, blah, 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 which is not the case with Pam Anderson. But it did become difficult for some people to break out of that narrative. Yeah. What are you, what's your take about the uh, abortion factor? I agree. I think what Justine was saying, which is just reaffirming the folks that have committed to keeping abortion safe, legal and accessible. So whether or not you are like I'm thinking about someone like uh, my senator, Julie Gonzalez, didn't have a challenger, but t- thousands of people still voted for her. It's sort of a reaffirmation of the folks that are preserving that hmm. that right. So I agree with Justine. I think it's it's a a. a very clear reminder to the Republicans that the majority of Colorado, at least, does does not think that abortion legalization should go anywhere. It should stay where it is. Mm. Patty, how about you? Oh, absolutely. It's a huge issue. And I think there were just so many other issues, too, on this ballot. But it brought people out to vote. And the people, I would say it brought out more pro-choice people mm-hmm. because that is they want that right protected. So they might have been on the fence, but that might have moved them to vote and moved who they were going to vote for. Yeah, it seems like to me, it seems like that might have been a factor in um, in District Three, the Frisch Bobert race. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so we have one last voicemail here. This one is from a uh, friend of the show. Um, I forget the last time he was on. Maybe e bikes. Yeah, he's our big <laughs> e bike guy, Connor McCormick Cavanaugh, Westwood reporter. Um, here's what Connor's takeaway from the uh, election is. Hey, what's going on? This is Connor, staff writer with Westward. So really interesting um, way to look at last night's election is that it was all about Nikola Jokic, actually. (laughs) So when I tweeted about Proposition 122, the psychedelics initiative um, being ahead, Nick Wright, who works for Fox Sports 1, he's a, a talk show host, mainly talks about basketball. Uh, it's a popular show. He is a a very, very strong opponent of calling Nikola Jokic one of the best players in the NBA. He views him as maybe like a top 20 talent, but not, you know, the back-to-back MVP. So he, he retweeted me. So he said, I know literally 100% of Denver sports fans hate me, and I'm not welcome there. But y'all do government right, and your state is beautiful. Can I visit maybe Boulder at least? <laughs> so Nick was pretty excited about the psychedelics measure. And then he said, if y'all vote Bobert out, I'll say something nice about Jokic on the show tomorrow, I promise. So this could be a huge moment for the overall media discussion about Jokic because we have one of the biggest anti-Jokic propagandists potentially coming around all thanks to Colorado voters. Huge moment. 
And that <laughs> is a moment. And that is a typical Westwood writer take, right? It could be our cover next week. <laughs> I hope he holds Nick to that if Bobert does lose. Yeah, that would be a great moment for sports. 122 passed, and I think we now have evidence of why. Yeah. 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 Should we talk about that? Yeah, let's take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and we're talk about uh, uh, 122, which was the measure to decriminalize psychedelics. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is, like, surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade. Hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. And we're back with another juicy topic that starts with some accountability for me. Um, last week on the show, I predicted that the psychedelics measure would go down. It did not. It squeaked by. Colorado voters approved uh, both regulation and decriminalization of natural psychedelics, including psilocybin. So, and this occurred to me after the vote because I hadn't really taken it seriously. This is This is psychedelics year zero on the same week that we're commemorating cannabis year 10. It's been 10 years since we approved recreational cannabis. So let's think about these two things together a little bit. Um, Patty, legal legal weed, cannabis, where do you want to start? Well, one of the arguments against 122, and they were grassroots people who are pro psilocybin mushrooms. Sure. And But one of their arguments was cannabis has become too corporate mm-hmm. since it was passed. It was passed as a mom and pop effort and, you know, expanding on what was medical already and making it recreational like liquor, treat it like alcohol. But the goal was not to have it be the total wines of cannabis, not to have big pharma come in, not to have consolidation, which is what we've seen in Mm -hmm. the cannabis market. There are still some mom and pops, but not as many. So one group that opposed 122 was concerned about it becoming too corporate. They were pro the concept they didn't like that. And they'd even proposed a separate ballot issue. Then there were the normal prudy pants, Colorado Christian University, other people who just didn't like all the people that should be doing any mushrooms. natural drugs. Right. Anything more expanding. There was that group. Mm-hmm. Some Native American groups also against it because they said there hadn't been enough science. People who use some of these natural drugs in their own ceremonies, but said this isn't the way to do it. So those are the three groups that were kind of aligned against it. On the other side were people Libertarians, hey, freedom, you can have alcohol, why Why not not have natural drugs? And the people who medically say it has really helped in a lot of cases, like PTSD especially. Mm Yeah, I think this um, that's the story to me around uh, that the comparison is that here behind psychedelics, there was this like fractured coalition of people who like participate in communities that use this stuff, but they aren't necessarily allies in the advocacy for it. Whereas I, I learned in the Colorado Sun this week, a piece from John Ingold, he had this oral history that was really interesting about how legal weed got passed. And he was talking about these two guys, these two lawyers, Mason Tavert and Brian Vicente, 
who both like had these very, they coordinated and they had these complementary strategies where one would talk about marijuana's potential for harm relative to alcohol and how much more dangerous alcohol was. And then the other guy was talk, was working on the actual regulations and setting up like, how are we actually going to do this? And those two things in tandem was what pushed and pulled cannabis together. It was like partnership collaboration. And I don't see that with psychedelics at all. And I think that's a bad start. Um, Brie, what do you think? I agree. I mean, I voted no for this, not because I, I, because I was on the, I was on the side of the grassroots effort that didn't make it to the ballot. I mm -hmm. thought decriminalization is the great step we need, but regulation already, it's too soon. It's too, it's too, comp it's too complex. There's too many people involved. There's too many ways that I think this could go wrong. And I'm just thinking about Paul. I was kind of explaining to you, like my friends, that's old weed, like would pre-legalization mm -hmm. would buy their weed from someone else who bought their weed from someone else who bought their weed from someone else. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was like four or five people down the chain with mushrooms. Most people I know either grew them themselves or knew the person that was growing them. And so I just feel like this is kind of a more delicate situation where I don't understand how it can be corporatized and not get messy really quick. Um, especially because it's like pa Patty mentioned, it's it's a plant medicine for a lot of cultures. And we lose that cultural element and the cultural knowledge and the ancestral knowledge when it becomes Mushroom Town USA Corporation. You know what I mean? Like, it's just I don't see it going well. And I think part of it is like you're saying, Paul, is there's no coalition building behind how this is going to happen. Yeah. I wish we would have just been able to vote on the decriminalization aspect of it and let it roll out from there with the input and experience and expertise of plant medicine specialists and ancestral knowledge keepers. Hmm. I want to I want to really lock in on that um, commercialization aspect because and then Patty, you covered this. You covered the whole rollout, how it transitioned here from medical to recreational. Do you think that there's people out there like rich guys, like like just slab, like slobbering over the opportunity to to sell? mushrooms as a product? Of course. There always are rich guys out there slobbering over something. And why not be looking into this? So it is going to be complicated because of the structure set up by 122 statewide. But in general, rich guys figure out ways around it. I mean, they certainly have figured out ways around the rules that we set up originally 30 years ago for gaming. And they've figured out rules around pot. So we will see it again. You know, originally you couldn't have a lot of investors or owners from out of state for the dispensaries. But that got changed, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, it was like. So this is going to take people being very active and keeping a close eye on what happens at the state level. I do have to say, I think it's smart that Polis, who was always very pro-cannabis legalization when he was in Congress, I think he will keep a fairly close eye on how the structure is set up in the state, because it is a very complicated state structure, which could easily get turned if you're not paying close attention. Well, I, I mean... Let's talk about Polis a little bit because he's he's this libertarian guy that believes people should be able to do what they want. And that includes make money. Like, I think if he's the one that's going to be responsible for setting up this new framework, this new regulatory system that this is going to develop under, I think he'll be interested. He'll he'll be he'll be, have his ears open to industry here, whatever that looks like. Yeah, but industry. We're not talking like I'm thinking about we had a, a previous guest Raven Payment on to talk about the missing and murdered indigenous people's office that was created. And I've just seen her share on Twitter um, over the last couple of weeks some real um, 
criticism of how Polis has handled that in the Native community. And the Native community is someone I'm thinking of, is a group I'm thinking of when we talk about legalization of psychedelics and how are they going to be represented? Are they going to have, you know what I mean? Are we going to be having the same equity conversation in 10 years after the industry has been created? All of the people that had originally been involved with it and the communities will be shut out and it will become a corporate thing, owned thing by mostly white, rich white guys, probably from the coast. <laughs> well, so let's hope there. it's set up that they're supposed to be representatives of a variety of diverse communities mm-hmm. on the commission that's looking into it. So let's hope they do appoint the right people and they do pay attention. And we all know from our experience with marijuana that you have to pay attention. Mm -hmm. And I hope Polis is listening to those communities and especially the grassroots folks behind the other initiative that didn't make it. That would be my first meeting if I was him. What can we do to do this right? Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, that's going to be so interesting to watch roll out. I mean, the mind races with possibilities of what this looks like in 10 years. Well, think about it. 10 years ago, like the tourism office did not even want to acknowledge that cannabis was involved in this state. Mm-hmm. You know, c- tourism happened despite the fact cannabis tourism, Colorado tourism office. Now they, you know, put it on their, I mean, it's a legitimate business. They put it on their website, all these things. So we'll see what happens. Will they accept that people are going to come out to the mile high, you know, the mile high city for a Rocky mountain high with mushrooms. I'm even thinking about advertising revenue, right? I remember having a conversation with someone who worked in ad sales for a magazine here in Colorado that represents Colorado. And they were very elitist about saying, well, we made the decision not to accept cannabis advertisers. Like, oh, we are just so highfalutin (laughs) that we won't. And I just, I also just hate that attitude towards it because I think it's really classist, but it is going to be a dictator of all different kinds of industries, like you're saying, tourism, beyond just the dispensary aspect. Yeah. Come take a trip in Colorado. I mean, I've, I personally, I have no experience with psychedelics. I'm kind of curious now more than ever, but everyone I've talked to who's done it is like, you know, outside is the best place to do it. You know, go up to yeah, the mountains, find too. somewhere secluded, find a little place where you don't have too much like sensory input. I feel like this is maybe an opportunity for the state. Well, and of course, mushrooms are going to be moving faster than the other drugs. And they're th- really the whole that bill 122 called for decriminalization and creating a legal a legal access proposal for uh, psilocybin mushrooms by 2024. The other drugs. It was up in the air whether there would be legal access, and it opened the door for that, but it wouldn't be before 2026. But by 2024, you should be able to go out and buy mushrooms legally if 122 is enacted the way it was written. Hmm. Right now, you can just possess them. It's decriminalized, but there is a path to make them legally available for sale. Mm. But they aren't today. So it's like what Hickenlooper said 10 years ago, don't get out the Cheetos yet. <laughs> oh boy i so many questions coming out of this so many questions yeah. I, I got my eyes on oregon too they did this same thing a couple of years ago they're a little bit ahead of us on psychedelics and they haven't i'm not sure if they've actually like opened the doors yet but that'll be really interesting well, to watch. it didn't go as vast with the natural drugs pretty much kept it to the mushrooms so colorado once again has gone further oh all right Well, um, I think that's where we got to wrap up that segment. We're going to take another quick break and be back with something else. (music) 
And we're back with one last segment. It's time for the official CityCast Denver maybe for your weekend, as in maybe you'll see us there. Because as usual, there are so many cool things happening in Denver this weekend, and we have opinions. Peyton Garcia rounds up her best bets in our newsletter, Hey Denver, every week. And she's here to give us her top picks. Peyton, welcome to the show. Hi, Hi guys. Peyton, let's hear it. What, what do you got? Yeah, so there was a lot to pick from. Um, it was kind of tough to pick four for this morning, um, but I narrowed it down. So to start, tomorrow morning, there's going to be a Highline Canal cleanup. Volunteers oh, cool. are meeting at Aurora's Expo Park. I like to highlight those. I know if you guys read the newsletter, Paul talked about Expo Park in yesterday's newsletter. Um and I don't know. That's I, that's nice. Before it gets too cold and yucky, you can go out and clean up the trail a little bit. Um, meeting at 10 a.m. It should be nice. You can get like a trash grabber thing for like 20 bucks at Ace Hardware. I would just recommend it. They're super easy to pick up trash with. Just and you pick can up get trash. a latte for about five bucks. Talk to and people. And I think it's a great idea. the trail where everyone else is cleaning and... It's nice. Enjoy. You feel good. It might be one of the last, you know, weekends that we have decent weather for being out there. I like that. Well, one. and the Highline Canal wow. is such an amenity. Seventy-one miles through Metro Denver. It's just great. Great bird watching. Mm-hmm. That's a really nice stretch too. Beautiful overhanging trees. <laughs> if you want an urban respite, that's a good one. Just watch out for the scooters <laughs> and the e-bikes, which may or may not be allowed. All right, and then also tomorrow night. We've got um, a book fair happening at Fiction Beer Co. This one I had to put in because you guys know I'm a book freak. You are a book freak. And it's going to be hard to get me to vote on something that's not this. But the event is benefiting the Denver Public Library Friends Foundation. And you can shop books. Um, They'll only cost $1 to $3. So swing by, have a beer. And fill your bookshelf. That's some books. maybe boring to some people, but so exciting for That's me. That's a great idea. That's a super fun one. Yeah. Book themed brewery, book book sale, talk about books all night. Great. Yeah. Drink. Book, book, book. Yeah. Have a beer. It's great. Try and read after a few beers. <laughs> Good. What else we got? Okay. Um, also happening tomorrow, tomorrow afternoon, evening, um, a whiskey and donut festival. So interesting hmm. pairing. Yeah, I mean Denver, the land of food festivals, the land of unnecessary food festivals. <laughs> and I say that as somebody who regularly goes to all of these food festivals. Um, this one's a little pricier. So if you're if you have money burning a hole in your pocket, tickets are seventy to ninety dollars, depending on if you want VIP. Um, and you can taste your way through dozens and dozens of Colorado's most beloved distilleries and bakeries. That sounds great. Price feels a little steep for donuts for me. What's the price again? $70 to $90. But I mean, when you're going to the taco fests or the like chicken fests, those prices are usually like $120. I feel like that's for the whiskey fan. Like whiskey gets expensive. And I mean, we have a pretty, it seems like a pretty devoted whiskey scene. That's probably Mm. a good point. As somebody who would be going strictly for the donuts, it feels... (laughs) Pricey price. And how many donuts can you eat and keep drinking? When you think about it, it expands in your stomach so quickly. Hmm. That's Hmm. my thought too. As someone who goes to a lot of these, I try and think of like, okay, the type of food, you can only have so many of those. And like, how many donuts can you really eat before you're- I mean, we did a donut off and I think and we I were barely survived. by like yeah. four donuts. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, You didn't make $75 worth of donuts. No, for so sure So you got to have the whiskey to tamp it down. Yeah. Right. Worth it. 
All right. I think I know where I stand on that one, at least. What's the last one, Peyton? Okay. And the last one, this one's kind of fun. This is happening on Sunday. So to honor Native American Heritage Month, um, the high dive in Denver is hosting a lineup of indigenous comics. So they've got a whole lineup of local um, comics who are Native American. And there's also going to be other things like a powwow drum performance um, and other cultural things to celebrate uh tickets are only 15 dollars, 12 if you buy them before sunday i thought that'd be a great way to kind of i don't know get out there have a good laugh i love the high dive i think it's one of the best venues in denver i think it's one of the best venues on south broadway it's just a great place to hang out this is a really cool program i've never seen them do anything like this yeah isn't that neat that's awesome patty didn't you all have an interview with one of the comics we did and it was a real eye-opener he was talking about what going into comedy and his mother died and he mm. and he, it helped him find his way back through grief you know he'd moved here and let's see he'd moved from the navajo reservation up to western colorado and then he moved to denver and he's trying to bring the community together wow. and what it's like to train comedy audiences to listen to native humor and how mm. different it is and to tell people what's going on it was a fascinating story you can read it on westward.com and i say that's a great event that's yeah, we, cool. we should link to that story for sure. Yeah. I, I talked to my buddy JD about that mm-hmm. after your story. He's a comic and he said this guy, Josh Emerson. Yes. My friend JD said he's really, really funny out of Durango. So this is a District 3 guy. Maybe you show up on Sunday night, get some insight on that Bobert Frisch race <laughs> oh, too. That. How about that for a bonus? I'm sure he would love that. <laughs> I bet he'll have jokes about it. <laughs> he actually probably will. That's really cool. I actually think they did link to the Westward piece in their, on their ticket page. Um, that's really cool, Patty. I love that. Oh, it, and as I said, it was a group I hadn't even heard about and what it, what it takes to be a Native comic. That's the one for me. That sounds super. Yeah, fun. I was really, I was really going for the Highline Canal cleanup, but that the the native showcase at High Dive sounds. I know. Awesome. I think these all sound really cool. I thought it was a tough pick for me. Um, I mean, I love the books. I'll, I'm gonna cheat and go to both, but <laughs> I do think for our maybe. I mean, I would be happy with the done with the, done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Native, Native Comic Showcase. Nice work. Highline will be there on Monday. You yeah. can go back. You can go you to the Highline all year round. Clean up on your own. You don't need an organized, <laughs> yeah, you don't need something organized. You can clean up trash on the Highline Canal anytime. Um, great. Well, as you know, you can find all of the other weekend events in our Hey Denver newsletter. Which you can subscribe to by texting Denver to 66866. Thanks so much, Peyton. Yeah. Thanks, Kay. Yeah. Bree, Patty, this was fun. My pleasure. Thanks, Paul. See you all next week. All right. We'll know who won, maybe, by then. I hope. And that's all for the week here on CityCast Denver. Our producers were me, Paul Caroli, Aaron O'Toole, and Lizzie Goldsmith. Peyton Garcia writes our morning newsletter, Hey Denver. Bree Davies is our host. Our music is by Los Mochachetes, with additional mixing by Tyler Lindgren. If you haven't already, subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, at CityCastDenver, and tell Adam Frisch about us the next time you see him. You can sign up for our daily newsletter, Hey Denver, by texting DENVER to 66866, and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. See you next week, everyone.
And that's all for the week here on CityCast Denver. Our producers were me, Paul Caroli, and Aaron O'Toole. Oh, and Lizzie Goldsmith.